This is an ABC podcast. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. And welcome to Can You Be More Pacific? I'm Dean Hallatow, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Sarah Nangama. Paula Dean and Paula to all of our listeners, it feels amazing to be back in the studio for another week. We've got a jam-packed show for you. We were joined by Aussie Sevens and Wallaroo star Bian Tarita. We're going to serve up a controversial You Can Ask That. Plus, we go head-to-head in our brand new segment, Play On or On Report. But first... How was your week, Holla? Week's been awesome, Sarah. We've got uh, some trials coming up in the NRL, so I'm busy at work preparing for that. Otherwise, I had a few nights out on the weekend. Having some, <laughs> what? Yeah, some, you? Some time with the wife. We went out on Friday. I went to a friend's place Friday, a few like casual drinks, and then uh, drinks. Saturday went to uh, like a South, South American tapas bar in, in, like around my house and... Had a few cocktails and some really good food, so enjoying some. Still enjoying like the most of the summer weather we can, and enjoying being outside. So that was fun. What about you, Sarah? What have you been up to? Well, firstly, love that for you because you don't really get out often, particularly when the season's underway, because you're always at the games. It's just about here, so I'm just trying to cram it in. Yeah, good on you. Uh, what's been happening in my world? Well, I actually was in Christchurch over the weekend. Uh, as we know, I'm heading over to the South Island to compete in Super Rugby Opiki with Matatu. So it was great for me to go over, meet the coaches, meet the girls. And uh, funny story, we uh, did some camping, went to this campsite. I was like, okay, I've already lost reception. This is going to be great. Getting Your to first the... worry was reception. Well, no reception. <laughs> I was like, my family, need... well, not really. I just need to know, like my followers need to know I'm okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That sounds so stupid. But we were told a week before to send through our dinner preferences. I selected beef stroganoff. We're sitting in a school camp dining hall kind of vibe. Picture yep. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, beef stroganoff girls, you're up first. So we all stand up, waddle over in a line. They pull back the lid of the buffet area and it's uh, dehydrated meals, proper camp. Yeah. I, I looked at it, I said, what's this? I said, oh, this is proper camp food. I said, well, what do I do with it? I said, well, you have to add hot water and let it dehydrate again and then it'll be ready for you to eat. I was like, ah. Oh. I sat down at the table, looked at the girl next to me. I said, you see where I come from? We have a chef that cooks our meals twice a week. <laughs> How pampered are you? Oh, I know, I know. I'm so, I sound like such a privileged egghead, but it was just very, very funny because, I mean, I, I think I could do camping, but that was a very, uh, you know, heavy on the character building kind of moment for me. Do you feel like you did build some character? Come out the back of it feeling better? Yeah, I did. I, yeah. It was a great experience nonetheless. I mean, I'm not in a rush to go back to a campsite and eat dehydrated meals, but, you know, new year, new experiences, yappa, yappa, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you've ticked that box, so well done. Now, our top story for this week, uh, it is in the World of Rugby League and Samoan International, Stephen Crichton, who has come on the last few years as a superstar of the game uh, for the Penrith Panthers, won multiple premierships, represented New South Wales. Uh, he represented Toa Samoa at the recent World Cup and was outstanding for them. Now, he's just uh, agreed to terms with the Bulldogs uh, for four years from 2024. So he'll see out his uh, 23 season with the Panthers, but then he'll be making his way over to Belmore, uh, where a number of his uh, former teammates currently are. So it's a big coup for the Bulldogs. It is a huge signing for the Bulldogs. I think they've done a really good job at trying to create some depth in their roster. He'll be joining the likes of Viliami Kakao, Matt Burton. We know Josh Adokar is already there. So this just may be the season where the Bulldogs turn the tide and come out with some dubs on top. Yeah, I think 
what they've done already to build their roster. There's a bit of excitement going around the Bulldogs at the moment. It's, it, and there's no games being played yet, so it's easy to get excited during the preseason. But um, they've purchased some really good players. Uh, taking on Stephen Crichton next year is going to bolster their ranks even more. They needed a strike outside back, and he's going to be um, key in, in making sure they can score some tries. So really looking forward to seeing what my old team, the board, one of my old teams, the Bulldogs, can do in the next couple of years. Well, congratulations to Stephen, and uh, we really look forward to seeing what the Bulldogs can do in the 23 season. We certainly do. Now, Sarah, the Sevens rugby is ongoing. Yes, it really is the Sevens season. The Sevens is well underway with the World Circuit currently in motion. The most recent stop was in Hamilton last weekend where the Black Ferns defeated USA 33-7. to They were superb all weekend. They scored 225 points. Let's just take a moment to breathe that in. 225 points and only conceded 19. So that now puts them at the top of the World Rugby 7 Series standings. Now looking over to the men, uh, the hosts had Argentina in the final and were in the lead in the first half, but Argentina turned around very much... Uh, like how we expected the Bulldogs to and came out on top 14-12. So quite devastating for the men, but the women are certainly in a solid position as they head across the ditch and make their next stop in Sydney this coming weekend. It's going to be an exciting tournament in Sydney and, yeah, the Black Ferns are rolling. I can't say I'm not too disappointed in that. Go the Black Ferns. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Rolling for sure. What happened to Fiji? Yeah, what's wrong? <laughs> just, just wondering. I didn't hear you read any of the uh, results out. No, everyone's in a bit of a character building moment, you know. Yeah, their weekend is coming. They need to do some camping now. Over to the Solomon Islands, and they held their uh, seventh annual surfing championship in Gizo. And Junior Kareba, who uh, was crowned uh, their national surfing champion at that event, he's actually from Gizo, so he's had a bit of a, a home court advantage or home. Swell advantage. It's not a court. You don't ride a surfboard on a court. Clever. So uh, well done to Junior. And to be able to um, impress the judges with his speed and his style was was the reason why he got the, the victory and scored well. Are you a surfer, Sarah? Funny you say. I was going to have a lesson this week. No way. Yes. The character building continues. The character building continues. There's a real theme to my January at the moment. <laughs> I don't know if I'm welcoming this challenge, but it's here. But uh, funnily, I got an email this afternoon and it's been cancelled. So in short, no, I don't know how to surf. We'll have a sus. I just think I'm a bit too gumby for it. <laughs> TBC on Sarah's surfing career. What's happening <laughs> in the world of netball? The Netball Quad Series has returned for another year. South Africa is hosting New Zealand, Australia and England this year. The competition is already underway and New Zealand, who we are highlighting, have gotten off on a strong start. They defeated South Africa 61-41, to but the following day fell to Australia 59-77. to World number two New Zealand Silver Ferns, they won the series back in 2017 and will be hoping to repeat that ahead of the World Cup that will take place later this year. I'm loving the trans-Tasman rivalry at the moment across a lot of it's, sports. It's full on. It is. It's what we love. We love to see that. Yes, we do. Now, the Cook Islands, uh, they've achieved a, a rare feat of taking a double gold at the third South, Paci- South Pacific Darts Championship, I should say. It was uh, played over in Tonga. Now, we bring up darts. It's not a, a sport that we often talk about, but um, I think last week we mentioned it on the show, and it's such a, a well-supported sport uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, so for it to be played in the South Pacific was pretty cool. Here's a little bit of a, a sample of what darts is like in uh, the professional arena.
That is incredible. I've got no idea about the result or what happened, but I knew he couldn't speak at the end of it because it was just so enormous. I can't spike. <laughs> I can't spike. For context, that match was between Michael Van Gerwen and Michael Smith. That is really, really rare to, to cover the game of darts, but it's so great to know that Pacifica Nations are taking up sports that are, are seen as not as popular. Yeah, and, and in the women's uh, tournament, it was the Cook Islands defeating Niue, uh 6-5, so unfortunate for uh, my country women there from Niue. Uh, while the men, the Cook Island men's, I should say, beat uh, Tonga 6-2, so good results for the Cook Islands, and no doubt the other nations will be back to get them next year. Now your time to shine, NFL. Yes, the NFL playoffs continued into the divisional championships and it was Jacksonville Jaguars against the Kansas City Chiefs first up. The Chiefs um, have been going into this uh, playoff series as, as probably one of the favourites to take out the Super Bowl. Their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, who's been MVP a number of times uh, in their Super Bowl winning years over the past few, he actually got injured before halftime, really bad ankle injury, got taken off and he had to go get an x-ray in the sheds um, while the game was still going on. He managed to step out in the second half but he was clearly hampered by uh, that ankle he limped around. He still managed to throw two touchdown passes and 195 yards, so a huge game from him. In spite of the injury, Travis Kelsey uh, was a standout, their tight end for the uh, Chiefs. He had two touchdowns and 98 receiving yards. He's, I think, top four all-time receiving uh, tight ends in the NFL, so he's a a superstar. The Philadelphia Eagles, who've had a great season, they won 38-7. Of course, Jordan Mailata, who we all, all... we always mention he's a player with the Philadelphia Eagles and, and they look like they are going to push all the way through to the Super Bowl and give him a good nudge. Uh, they had three rushing touchdowns, two receiving touchdowns. The Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals, who are a fairly like team, they come against the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills quarterback, is uh, also another player who's probably at the top of the tree in terms of superstars in the NFL. He couldn't get the job done. The Bengals, 27 points to 10. Uh, what was of note uh, was DeMar Hamlin was in attendance. Um, the, the player that obviously suffered that really serious injury a few weeks ago ended up in intensive care, had a, a heart attack, and um, obviously they nearly lost him. But uh, he managed to, to make it out to the ground. He's recovering well, which was um, a big boost. They couldn't get the job done. Joe Burrow, the quarterback for the Bengals, 242 yards, two touchdown passes. And the last one for the weekend, it was a bit of a dour match. There wasn't a lot of touchdowns scored, but the San Francisco 49ers, again, a star-studded pack. They managed to win 19 points to 12 against the Dallas Cowboys, the sort of glamour team of the NFL, and they just had too much strike, the San Francisco team. Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, their quarterback, who stepped in after a few injuries to the first and second string. He had 214 yards, no touchdown passes, but he continues on his rich vein, uh, rich vein of form. That's how it's said. As always. <laughs> As always, so appreciative of all of your insights. We now come to the pointy end of the season because Super Bowl is not far off, I think, Feb 12th. Two weeks, uh, conference championships next week, AFC, NFC. Winners of those two matches go through to the Super Bowl. So crunch it's time is coming. It's crunch time. Yes. Talanoa time. On Can You Be More Pacific? This week for Talanoa Time, we are very, very honoured to have a rising star within the rugby ranks. Her name is Bien Tarita. She's only 19 years old and has played football beyond her years. She has represented Australia in youth championships. She's also a member of the Senior Aussie 7 squad and made her debut at the recent Rugby World Cup. She joins us on the line today. So Bien, welcome to Can You Be More Pacific? Hello. Thank you for having me. Baby, let's just take it from the top. Well, for all of our listeners, 
baby, I call her baby. That's her, her nickname. That's what we call her. But uh, I have had the privilege of being able to not only watch her from afar, but also play code alongside her. But to all of our listeners tuning in, could you please just give us um, some information as to who you are and where your family is from? Um, yeah, so I'm born and raised here in Sydney, Australia. Um, for all of my 19 years, I've lived in like inner west Sydney, um, Punchbowl, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. We know um, the area. <laughs> <laughs> um, both of my parents were born and raised in New Zealand, um, made the move to Sydney when they were about 20 um, and had me and my two older sisters here. So um, yeah, born and raised. Sydney. Yeah, and what about uh, rugby? Where did that start for you? Obviously, uh, you've got a, some natural ability, but uh, when did you first get into playing the game? Um, well, I played a lot of sport growing up. My parents kind of just got me into everything. I played like little A's, netball, soccer. Um, but my first form of footy was Oztag. And I played that from like an age of maybe 10 to like 14. Um, and I made a lot of friends. Um, through that so I met uh, a good mate Bronte and she had kind of got in touch with me and let me know that they had um, a local team in Maroubra, Maroubra Magic Um, and then I was like okay sure I'll give it a go. I was about 13, 12 at the time and then yeah kind of never turned back from there. You talk about how you really enjoyed Oztag and then had your first introduction to rugby through Sevens at uh, Magic. I remember that team. It was just a, a group of young lasses who ran so fast you could barely catch them. But how did you find that transition from, I guess, being able to dodge the contact to having to actually embrace the contact? Um, I was pretty adamant at a really young age that I wanted to play sevens and I wanted to play a contact sport. So when I finally got the chance, I was really excited um, and just, kind of really embraced it and um like you said just ran (laughs) (laughs) yeah what about the the similarities between like obviously tag uh as sarah was saying it's a game where you're trying to avoid contact and you're you're looking for space is that did that help you enormously with playing sevens rugby where there is so much space in the field and you've got to be um, fast and agile and 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 all the rest of it but um did you find you just picked the stuff up that you took from tag and, and and really transplanted that into sevens yeah, pretty much. I would say I gained a lot of confidence from playing tag and was able to transition that into sevens, um, especially with playing, you know, with your best mates. Um, it was kind of just easy, but I found it a little bit easier. Like you said, sevens, there's so much more space on the field. Um, but, uh Yeah. Baby, you made your debut for the Aussie Sevens Women's in Spain. Can you take us to that moment? You've spoken about how you were quite adamant from a young age that you wanted to play and represent your country in which you finally got the opportunity to do so. Do you remember the first time you were told by your coach that you were going to debut? Um, I don't think I do, actually, but... Um, I mean, it, was, it wasn't too long ago, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was kind of just like he wanted to take the whole squad to Spain. Um, but yes, once I knew I was in the 12, it was a very special moment. Um, I think a year prior to that or a couple months prior to that, I had an ankle injury. So I was coming back like 
right in time for me to, you know, get back into rugby. So I wasn't really expecting to play, but um, to know that, you know, he, you know, had that faith in me that he wanted me to play um, despite, you know, the injury that I was coming out of. Um, yeah, so to go across the world and play um, and debut in that jersey was really special. Yeah, and what about your parents? You, you mentioned before they, they they moved to Australia when they were around 20 years old from New Zealand. Now, any person that's brought up in New Zealand becomes uh, a fully a fully fledged member of an All Blacks uh, supporter or Black Ferns <laughs> supporter uh, from birth. So, how do they feel about you donning the the green and gold of Aussie? Um, yeah, there can be some conflict sometimes. <laughs> but, um. No, they support everything that I do, and I was always sure, and I always knew that I wanted to represent Australia. Um, you know, this is where I was born, and this is where I was raised, and um, my childhood and everything has all been here. So I was always sure that I wanted to, you know, play for this country, and and they knew that, so they had they gave me all their support. That's really special to hear. We're chatting with Aussie Sevens and Wallaroos try scoring machine Bianca. Baby, looking at last season, the Aussie Sevens women's achieved so much, including the Triple Crown. So that's the World Series title, Commonwealth Games, and also the World Cup. Your team was the first team to do so, both in either male or female. Take us into the preparation of your whole year, because looking at Olympics, it obviously wasn't the the note that you guys wanted to end on. So how did you turn it around and what was training like throughout that season? Because I can only imagine it was tough. Um. Yeah, it was a huge achievement um, for us collectively um, as a team, um, also individually for some girls that have been here for a really long time, um, like Charlotte Kaslick, um, Shani Williams. Um, you know, we have such a good culture on and off the field and um, it was really important to us that we, you know, created that environment. Um, you know, being in a sevens environment, it is 24-7. We are around each other all the time. So it was really important to us that we, you know, implemented, um, you know, a safe um, but really hardworking environment. Um, you know, we train extremely hard, um, push our body, you know, to its limits daily. Um, obviously, with the help of, you know, our coaching staff and our management, um, our SNC Tom Carter um, and our physio Frankie, she and him, they give us all the tools that we need. Um, to perform the best that we can, giving us all the right information and um, training um, so we're able to you know, be in the best physical shape that we can be. Um, but our coach also knows how to um, get the best out of us. He sees our potential as a team and as footy players, so he really brings that all together and develops us into being the best rugby sevens team that we can be. Um, but, you know, we prepare individually, um, just, you know, knowing our role um, on the field and, they're just trusting all the work that we've done, you know, back home and then getting to play really is the fun part. You talk like you're, you're only 19, so you're only very young, but mm. you, you talk like someone that's been around for a long time and understanding what it takes to play at the highest level. Now, you've had a, a great start to the year uh, playing over at the Coral Coast Sevens only uh, last week. You scored 16 tries in six games. Can you tell us about what the tournament was like, the experience of being there, but um, to, to finish the tournament with that uh, large try haul? Um, yeah, I'd love to score that many in a HFBC World Series, but, um, <laughs> it's uh, possible. Not, not only just scoring the tries is a reflection of my talent, but you know, how my, how well my team worked together, um, to get the ball over the line. But, um, 
no, it was a really good opportunity. You know, some of us don't get um, a lot of game time that we would like um, here on the Seven Series. So, you know, they gave us the opportunity to play, you know, in such a beautiful country with lovely people um, against, you know, some quality football as well. Um, so, yeah, it was a really good experience. You also, I guess we didn't mention that you won the Rusilla Nangasia Player of the Tournament. So anyone who's not um, familiar with who she is, she is the Fijiana captain and just an absolute stalwart in the game of rugby. Baby, looking at your form at the Coral Crow Sevens, it earned you a spot in the squad in Hamilton where the girls came away with the bronze position. But now the next stop of the circuit is here in Sydney. How excited is the team to be able to host on home soil after a few years? Um, yeah, it's really exciting um, to host at home um, and share uh, this tournament with, you know, our family and our friends and the city that um, some of us were born and raised in. Um, you know, a lot of our family watch you know, how hard we all work, you know, the long days of training, week in and week out. So to finally, you know, hopefully put on a performance that our country and our family are really proud of is, you know, really exciting. But, um, no, it'll just be a really fun time to have young fans and family and friends come out and watch some world-class rugby in a brand-new stadium. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be uh, it'll be rocking out there at the SFS this weekend. Now, my last question for you is, do, do you have any advice? You're still only very young, but did you have any advice for young aspiring athletes and how they might achieve some of the things they want to achieve? Um, just to play the game for the love, really. Um, don't give up. You know, there's they, they may be setbacks in, in your journey, but don't give up. You know, the beauty of rugby is that there's always another opportunity um, my mum and dad always tell me, don't forget where you come from because there's always younger girls, you know, coming through that are working just as hard, if not harder. Um, so just to continue to persevere and work hard. That is a very mature advice and something I think will resonate with anyone no matter where they are on their sporting journey. Baby, before we let you go, we love to run a segment with our guest called Tip On. It's 30, uh, sorry, 60 seconds of rapid fire questions where you're basically just meant to say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you keen to play? Sure. Yeah, girl. All right, the clock is on. What have you been binging? Um, Peaky Blinders. What is your coffee order? Um, hot chocolate. Can't drink coffee. Who is your most annoying teammate? Um, Dry Pocky. Who is your sporting hero? Um, Emma Tomagato. Do you fold or do you scrunch? <laughs> you fold. Who has the time? What would be your wrestler entrance song? Um, oh, I don't know, pass. What was your favourite movie as a kid? Uh, the Benchwarmers. Who in your team is always on their phone? Uh, Tia Hines. What's something you could eat for a month straight? Uh, acai bowls. Favourite place you've travelled to? Uh, London. What is the most used app on your phone? Which teammate has the best fashion sense? Uh, Sarai Pocky. Ah, you got through a solid chunk of questions yeah, there. That's about 12 answers. That's pretty good. She's she's fast. She's not only fast in the field, she's fast, fast. with her brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Vianney, it has been such a treat for us to have you on Can You Be More Pacific with the upcoming Sydney Sevens. We wish you and the girls all the best. We'll, well, I'll definitely be in the stand supporting you, but uh, as a crew, we'll also be throwing our support behind the Aussie girls and men, hoping that you can do the double this weekend.
No worries. Thank you guys so much for having me. That was Aussie Sevens and Wallaroo's try scoring machine, Bien Tarita. You can ask that. Your chance to ask what it's really like to be an elite athlete on Can You Be More Pacific? Now we're back with another week of our favourite segment and this question is quite timely and topical for us. And this comes from Eva via Instagram. Thank you for sending it through to my DMs. Should coaches in all sports be able to contact their players during a game? Yes? No? Or does it depend on the sport? Now, before we get stuck into it, we've seen some recent examples in different sports. Novak Djokovic's team sent out a message in the bottle to the world at number five. And we also have to note that throughout uh, the game of tennis, coaching is allowed. However, it can only happen um, when their team is playing on the same side of the court. So that's play on, right? And then on the flip side of that, with the Socceroos goalkeeper, Andrew Redmayne, I hope I said his surname correctly, famously threw away Peruvian goalkeeper Pedro Gales's water bottle and some notes over the advertising boards in a penalty shootout. So there's been some sneaky, sneaky messaging happening. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> look, the tennis one. So I, I love watching the tennis and as long as I've watched it, there's always comments when a coach starts saying things from their box and the commentator is always writing and saying, oh, they're not supposed to be doing that. So it's been around for a while. And the, the rule around, as far as I know, the rule around the communication with your player at your end of the court is only a, a recent development in the game of tennis. Um, I come from a sport where we're allowed to have the coaches sit on the sideline and directly tell us what to do, like in rugby league. Obviously, um, I'm, I'm biased in that I'm used to that. And my one of my old coaches, Tim Sheens, he used to mix it up between going up in the box, but majority of the time he would stay down on the sideline and you can clearly hear what he's saying to you on the sideline, which as a player, it's good to get that, uh, I guess, reinforcement of, of your game plan or what your role is within the team. And I had never had a problem with it. I, I found it helpful, obviously, uh, when I got a bit lost out in the field. So um, I guess the, the, the point of the question, it does depend on the sport, on uh, how it happens and if it's legal or not. But I think it should be fine across all sports because I'm used to it. I guess that's the bias for me is that I'm used to it. And um you know, they're a part of the preparational week. They communicate uh, the game plan to, to every player and the players are responsible for still executing the skill on the field. I don't see a problem with little reminders as the game's ongoing. How do you feel? I'm going to go on the opposite side of you for this one. I've been in games where communication from the coaches have been so consistent, it becomes overwhelming. And Looking at the game that I play, you have game drivers and that essentially is uh, your fly half and your captain. And for each area of the game, whether it's attack or defence, you have a boss and they're the ones that are empowered that when you have a stoppage, it's just their voices. And, you know, you would totally remember the feeling of when your back is up against the wall and you're under the pump and you come to a circle, everyone's kind of rattling, trying to be heard. This is what we should be doing. This is what we should be doing. And then you kind of layer that again with the comms that is coming from the top it becomes overwhelming. I vividly remember a match last season, an international fixture where our captain turned around, not a captain, but one of the bosses turned around and said to the coach, just shut up, let us handle this because we're the ones on the field. So I think the whole week in the lead up to a match, your coaches spend so much time with you trying to prepare you for different situations, scenarios that you might find yourselves in that when it comes to game day, it really should just be up to those players and it removes the coach out of it because how often when a team is... Um, I guess when they lose, oh, it's the coach's fault. 
like the coach can never do right or wrong, right? But I think it really should just come down, particularly on game day, leave it, empower your athletes throughout the week to be able to make the decisions. You've chosen your best 23, believe in them, believe in their ability. And there is definitely a time for a review. But sometimes I think it can actually have the opposite effect on your players when you over communicate and give too much. And I mean, you know, that being said, there needs to be um, a balance, but we get stoppages. We get half time. we get pregame. Um, you spend a whole week in review and training. So yeah, I'd say just leave it to the players and save all your comments for review. And then that really like, and particularly at the elite level, you've got to be able to answer for the decisions that you've made. Um, because at the end of it, there's, there's points, there's standings, um, all up for grabs. So yeah, empower your athletes and coaches will review it all together. That's not bad. I don't mind that. I'm still saying where I'm at, but you yeah. make a good point. No, it's so fun. You know, watching you know, watch American sports like baseball, NFL, basketball, the coaches are like right there and they argue with the referees. Like you can't argue with the referees in, in NRL because you get fined. And I'm sure they get sanctioned over the no sports, but they are constantly at at each other on the sidelines. And I just find it, it's, it's entertaining, but it's interesting that they allow, they're allowed to do that. And then at some point they'll get thrown out. The referees got a lot of patience over there. Well, great question, Eva. And to all of our listeners, please feel free to send through any kind of question that you'd like us to answer. You can find us both on Instagram. My handle is at Sarah Nangama, and this bloke's is at Dean Hallitow. Can you be more Pacific on ABC Radio Australia? Oh, my God. Yo, with Sarah and Dean talking all things sport across the Pacific. Stick around, we'll spotlight our favourite socials, tackle the tough headlines in the ruck and go head-to-head in Play On or On Report. We're going to try something a little bit different. We've cooked up a new segment called Play On or On Report and what we're going to do is we'll look at an issue that's created some debate in the world of sport and Sarah and I are going to decide if it's all good, we'll play on or you're at a line, you're on report. I think that's the the gist we're going for, says. Yes, it is. I think this is going to be really exciting because we haven't done this before and it gives us an opportunity to really delve into the debates that are are relevant that week. It certainly will. Now, the one that's been served up to us this week is around tennis. The Australian Open's going on at the moment. And is it going too late? Uh, Andy Murray was playing against Tanasi Kokonakis, Australian, uh, the other night and the match went for five sets. Uh, started at 10 and finished at 4.05 a.m. in the morning, which is a marathon, and it's such a a terrible hour to be finishing up a sporting event. But not only that, they're only allowed one toilet break through that entire six hours. And uh, Andy Murray, who's uh, known to voice his thoughts, had this to say on that. I mean, I can't say I disagree with Andy. What he, he, he again, he's, he's human. It is very early hours of the morning. He's been competing for a long period of time. And while I understand where he's coming from, it's just the nature of the game. It's tough, but that's why he does what he does. Mind you, there's lines, lines people, there's ball kids, uh, the umpire. And they're held to the same rule, that they cannot go to the toilet? I believe so. We can assume so for the sake of the conversation. I, I, a ball, a ball kid couldn't stop the match and say, hey, I'm going to the bathroom. Yeah, that's so true. So I reckon they get nothing. I think it's ridiculous that firstly, the match finished at 4.05. But what we must bear in mind is that tennis as a traditional sport 
is super competitive. It's super long. There's no time constraints on it. And that is just the nature of the game. You think about all the tournaments that happen. If we were to, I mean, it's just, it's a blowout, right? Like it's the exception and not the rule. Not all matches go that way. But I think what, why change it? It's That's how the game is being played. That is how the game is played. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm, a, I'm guessing that the, sh- the scheduling is pretty difficult to, to pull together for a big tournament like this. The game's starting at 10 p.m. at night. So that's everything's all dependent on what happens in the, in the games leading up to that. So things can be thrown out of whack by longer games during the day, I'm guessing, and it can spill over. But you're saying that it's okay. It's just the way it is. Roll with it. Play on. Wait, hang on, hang on. I'm not just saying it's okay. I'm saying that... <laughs> What I'm saying is it's the nature of the sport. Yeah. You can't help it. If it blows out that way, it blows out that way. Like, sorry, in a game of rugby, if you are tied up at the end of a match, you go into golden, sorry, you go into extra time until someone is declared a winner. And that's just, in tennis, there's no set time. You just have to keep outworking your opponent. And it's tough. It's a strenuous sport. But that's why at the elite level, only so many people can do it. And that's how the games are dragged on for that long. So, one, it speaks to the elitism of the athletes. Yes. And therefore, they can do it. And so on the, on the flip side of that, if it blows out, it blows out. What are you supposed to do? Oh, I'm tired. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say on report because I think that they can maybe look at contingencies for like start times. Like if it's starting at 10 p.m., there's a risk that it could go past four hours, five hours, which takes it into the early hours of the morning. If you're playing to that time your recovery is going to be severely hampered. Like your, your sleeping pattern is going to be thrown out. Um, you may not get a good – you may not get to bed. If you're finished at four, you come back down off the high of playing a game, like a big, tough match. No matter how tired you might be physically, there's always that, uh, that unwinding like part of, of playing in a sport. You would have experienced it yourself. I, I, could, I struggled to get to sleep after a game. If I was finishing at four o'clock, I probably wouldn't sleep till, I don't know, eight or nine in the morning. Yeah, I get that. And then – the rest of the the preparation is thrown into disarray. So maybe it's on report for them to have a chance to look at a better contingency for late, potentially late starts. I don't know what that means because there's going to be broadcast implications, uh, ticketing implications, but I don't know. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. So you're saying on report, I say play on. I want to add one more thing though. Perhaps what they should look at, particularly for games that are later in the evening, that start off later in the evening, is to look at increasing their water, their, their toilet breaks. Yes. Like it's only fair. They're humans. Yes, we're talking about how elite these people are, but they're humans and like they need to go to the toilet and just kind of need to take a break. It might have finished at 4.07 instead of 4.05 if they allowed you them to have a toilet break. That's fine. Let me go to the toilet. Let me just do my business in peace. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Do you agree with Sarah that it's play on or are you in line with me and you think that it's on report? Adding on to that, if you have a debate that you want us to tackle, please feel free to send it to us. Again, you can contact us on our Instagram. My handle is at Sarah Nangama and Dean's is at Dean Hallitow. Can you be more Pacific? Keeping it social. My social this week's This week, I'm speaking like it's a plural. (laughs) My social this week comes from the Female Athlete Project Instagram. Uh, The WNBL is currently underway and Lauren Jackson, who is just a beast, uh, was caught on court with uh, her son. And as she was warming up, he was also doing the same movements as her and it just pulled on all of my heartstrings. That's a pretty cool film clip to see him out there watching his mum get ready for a match, but then to be running around beside her and 
getting his warm-ups done as well. That's a cute one. Yeah, it's really cute. And I think it just speaks to that whole quote of you can't be what you can't see and this kid will grow up with such beautiful memories of being able to warm up on court with his mum who I think to him he probably hasn't realised just how much of a legend she is. So pretty doozy. Yeah, it's awesome. And and also the fact that she she has come back to the game after Mm -hmm. a long time out and – a lot of people would have doubted her ability to get back in the sport, but she's setting a really good example for him. And yeah, it's, it's awesome to say. It's very cute. I loved it. I know. And it has Mariah Carey playing over it. Can't go wrong with a bit of MC. <laughs> Maybe not MC today, but MC back then. She oh, she's still good MC. I said what I said. <laughs> what about you, Hala? What'd you find? Well, I mentioned uh, at the top of the show in the NFL rap about the Bills taking on the Bengals and Damar Hamlin, who uh, only a few weeks ago, against the same opponents, suffered a, a, a nasty knock in the game, which stopped his heart. He, he, he was literally dead on the field, got revived by uh, athletic trainers, um, and he's been in recovery since. He managed to get to the game, and he was sitting up, up in one of the skyboxes. And uh, I'll, I'll let you listen to uh, what happens with the commentators as they're talking through it. Here, and Jamar stood up, right? Yeah, he did. This is it right here. What a scene. Oh, That's his, that's his sign. What a beautiful, triumphant story that galvanized this entire nation. That's really, really special. And again, just remembering that devastating occasion that happened only three weeks ago and to see him recover so well and then be in a position that he can actually come to the game and support his team and see his fans and the fans see him, I'm sure would have been so special for him and his family and just such a blessed moment, really. In the run. Tackling the tough headlines in sport on Can You Be More Pacific? First story in the ruck today, and it's a tough one in the NRL. And I've got to put my hand up. I obviously work for the the NRL, the governing body of the game, but I also sat as a director for the RLPA for five years between like 2011 to 2000, actually 2012 to 2017. Uh, So I've had a little bit of a view from both sides of the fence. Now they're at the moment in negotiations for a collective bargaining agreement between the players and the game. And it's all about... um, basically working conditions and playing conditions for the players, uh, salary cap amounts, and this is for all players, NRLW and the NRL. And it's been going on for nearly 14 months now. So it's it's very protracted negotiations, um, and there's been a bit of tension over the Christmas period. Uh, obviously, having uh, my NRL hat on, I understand the position of the NRL, but the players are standing pretty firm at the moment. My hope is that it gets sorted pretty soon because games are around the corner and we want everyone to be on the same page and ready to go before the season kicks off. But a side note from this is that the USA Championship Rugby League have offered, should the players take the drastic action of striking, they're going to offer up 160 players from their competition uh, to take their um, take their place. So I don't know how that's going to work. There's a movie called The Replacements back in the day with Keanu Reeves where this happened. And um, yeah. It couldn't happen. In all honesty, I know I have a full belief that the NRL will pull it together before the season kicks off. 
I can totally empathise with the players. That's hugely frustrating. They're thinking about their livelihoods. They're thinking about their families and planning for the year, et cetera. So you can only, like, I genuinely hope that we can find a conclusion um, a lot sooner because, you know, the likes of Tamika Upton, she's pulled out of the All-Stars game and that's the last thing you want. But I don't think the answer is pulling players from a different country to come and fill in um, for our Premier competition. I just question how that would even work, where they would go, how you would do it. Like We have the best players here. I just, I just, I don't see how it's going to work, but like kudos to USA Rugby League yeah. for <laughs> extending their hand and, and helping. But I, I think it won't be needed. I think it's just a bit of airtime for the USA Championship Rugby League. They just wanted to get their, their competition out there. I they, can't even wrap my head around how it's going to work. Yeah. They, they couldn't contract them. They wouldn't be able to insure them. There'd be a whole bunch of issues with, with getting it done, but it could make for a good movie one day. Like I said, <laughs> The replacements 2.0. <laughs> the replacements The Aussie 2. version. <laughs> <laughs> On to a different story. Uh, as we know, January 26 is coming up, which is a very significant day in Australian history. And there has been a T20 match set uh, between Australia and Pakistan and Australian cricketer and also a Murawari woman, Ashley Gardner, has raised her concerns about the match being held on a day that is very close to her heart. She is of Indigenous heritage and this is a, uh, a very sorrowful and, and, and a dark day for our First Nations people. So she has spoken out about it, but Cricket Australia have said that this has been spoken about already with the Indigenous Advisory Committee who approved this fixture, but for her it just does not sit right. Yeah, and um, rightfully so. There's there's a number of the people that obviously have have commented on this, and um, it's it's even the cricketers, sorry, Australian cricket, cricket Australia, I should say, the wrong way around. They've they've acknowledged and support Ash's comments, um, which is is good. Uh, obviously, the match is still going to go ahead. They they've decided on that, but um, players nowadays are uh, getting more and more courage to stand up for things they believe in. And Ash has taken to her social media to, to say what she said, as you just um, mentioned there. And um, I think she's gathered enough enough support from both the administrators and also from her teammates to feel comfortable in, in having her say. Um, I'm not too sure if she's, is she going to play? Is that she's still going to play? But um, creating a discussion is a good thing. And I think that's probably the, the aim of what she wanted to, to do is to bring some awareness to why uh, our First Nations people don't like that day. And um, yeah, she's taken a stand and, and I, I, I fully support where she's at as well. Yeah, I just want to second that. It takes a lot of courage to be able to speak up about the things that don't sit right with you, particularly when you have a platform. But I can completely understand and empathise with her reason. And um, you can only hope moving forward that I guess more consideration is given around, um, I guess, the, the sensitivity of the issue, particularly on a day that is so significant on our calendar. So kudos to her for, for speaking up. Certainly. Now, back over to the NRL and the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, Tony Staggs has revealed that uh, for the second half of the NRL season in 2022, he played with a torn labrum. So in his, in his left shoulder, he had a, a tear and it required surgery. He copped a knock during the state of origin, but... Medical staff believed it was a cork. He continued to play on. And I guess it, it begs a question, how much or how far should players go in terms of looking after themselves and playing on and playing through injury? Sarah, you would have had a number of injuries over your career so far that you've had to just grin and bear it and, and get on with the game. And yeah, I guess what's your, what's your thoughts on what Katoni's spoken about? 
I think, well, I, I, I would hope that as soon as he started to feel pain that he did raise it with his medical staff. I think often you can become quite selfish and think, oh, well, I want to, you know, I want to play. I want to be a part of that fixture. It's that, you know, you never know what's coming up on that calendar and you want to be a part of the season as much as you can. But there also is this fine line of having um, a sense of duty to your own well-being. And if he knows that he was playing sore, then that's on him. I can empathize, though, with him perhaps telling his medical staff and them um, incorrectly diagnosing him. I know that has happened to me. And just speaking about the most recent World Cup, when I came back home, I went and saw my own physio genuinely told her, pull out a notebook, like I've got a series of things that I need referrals for, et cetera. Um, and she sent me off and lo and behold, the, the things that I assumed were wrong with my body were true. So it's um like, you should never, ever continue playing just because you think it's for the betterment of the team. You also need to take care of yourself. So I would strongly, strongly encourage anyone, if you ever are sore, don't hide it because your body is your moneymaker essentially. So you've got to look after it um, in order for it to, to stay in the game as long as possible. Yeah, I guess the one thing, like if you get to the end of, a, of an NRL season and you go to any football team, you ask every player in that squad, do they have a, a niggling injury or something that's that's hanging around? And most will say yes. There's soreness after games. There's bumps and bruises. There's a lot of soft tissue things that, that sort of come and go with footy. But when – for, for bigger injuries like sh- shoulder injuries or, or things that are really, I guess, hampering the way that you perform, then yeah, 100% you need to be honest with yourself because you're right, you you, you can damage yourself further um, and then you become even less useful to your team. Or you, you go on the field um, at, say, 70 or 80% and then you come up with a you know a mistake in the game because of your injury and mm-hmm. you let your team down in that way. And um, yeah, you there's, there's got to be, I think there's got to be a balance. You can play through niggles and, and most athletes do do it, but you've got to be honest with yourself and know your limitations as well. Well, speaking of that, Cooper Cronk a few years ago played with a broken shoulder. Sarah Nagama played with a broken finger. <laughs> I mean, it's not Sanges, the same. Yeah. It's not the same. It's totally <laughs> the same. But it really does change the way that, anyways, that's a story for another time. But um, yeah, look, some players are like Cooper Cronk, he would have counted the cost. He was a grand final fixture. You don't get them often and decided to play through that way. it. And I know this because you have to do modules on this. It comes down to your team doctor, whether they allow you to play on or not. Yeah. Because you can say, yes, I'm, I'm capable, my body's fine. But if your team doctor says no, it's a no. And if they say yes, it's yes. And a team doctor's um, opinion overrides your coaches. Something many people don't know. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Yes, but before we go, we actually need to mention something because my wonderful co-host and my media bestie, Dean Hallitow, the bloke here, it's his birthday. It's coming up this week. Yeah, hey, thank you, Sarah. I'll be 40. That sounds bad to say. I'll be 40 this Friday. Say it with confidence, bro. I'll be 40. 40? Yeah, yeah, big 40. So thank you. It's just, I hate birthdays. I don't like attention and um, it's a big one. So my kids keep reminding me about it and laughing at me and saying you're old. So just like fine, (laughs) they love you, dad. And just like fine wine, you get better with time. Well, that brings us to the end of our show, but do not fear. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Don't forget, you can find all our episodes on the Radio Australia website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Love there. Let's all look here. Pacific, an ABC sport production 
for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.